I'm Wayne Turner, and welcome to the daily podcast of Bible Track. I've developed Bible Track to be both a commentary and a daily Bible reading schedule. These podcasts cover the text and commentary, which may be found at www.bibletrack.org. So, for those who have a busy schedule but do have time to listen to the Bible being read, this podcast is for you. At the end of one year, you will have gone completely through the Bible. Today we're reading Judges chapters 8 and 9. This is the new King James Version of the podcast. The King James Version is also available. As we come to the 8th chapter, we see that Gideon has a problem with the tribe of Ephraim. Verse 1. Now the men of Ephraim said to him, Why have you done this to us by not calling us when you went to fight with the Midianites? And they reprimanded him sharply. So he said to them, What have I done in comparison with you? Is not the gleaning of the grapes of Ephraim better than the vintage of Abiazer? God has delivered into your hands the princes of Midian, Oreb, and Zeeb. And what was I able to do in comparison with you? Then their anger toward him subsided when he said that. Well, now they want to help. Where have they been for the last seven years of oppression? These leaders of Ephraim complained to Gideon about the fact that they weren't called upon to supply troops in Judges chapter 6. They were called upon for the cleanup operations in chapter 7, verses 19 to 25, and they were responsible for catching and executing those pesky Midianite princes, Oreb and Zeeb. In verse 2, Gideon's a gentleman about their challenge and uses a harvesting grapes metaphor to describe their actions compared to his. He compliments their bravery and because of Gideon's diplomacy here, they drop the whole issue. In chapter 8, verses 4 through 9, we see that Gideon has some difficulties with Sukkoth and Penuel. Verse 4, When Gideon came to the Jordan, he and the 300 men who were with him crossed over, exhausted but still in pursuit. Then he said to the men of Sukkoth, Please give loaves of bread to the people who follow me, for they are exhausted, and I am pursuing Zeba and Zalmanah, kings of Midian. And the leaders of Succoth said, Are the hands of Zeba and Zamana now in your hand, that we should give bread to your army? So Gideon said, For this cause, when the Lord has delivered Zeba and Zamana into my hand, then I will tear your flesh with the thorns of the wilderness and with briars. Then he went up from there to Penuel and spoke to them in the same way. And the men of Penuel answered him as the men of Succoth had answered. So he also spoke to the men of Penuel, saying, when I come back in peace, I will tear down this tower. These two cities were about four and a half miles apart, Sukkoth and Penuel. They're located in the territory of the tribe of Gad, just east of the Jordan River. That's about 25 miles southeast of the battle in Jezreel, in Judges chapter 6, verses 28 to 35. The cowardly Midianites, there were 15,000 of them, they'd headed that way. And these Gadites just had no confidence that Gideon and his band of 300 could finish off the enemy. I mean, 300 men in pursuit of 15,000? What are the chances that you'll see these 300 men ever again? These cowardly fellow Jews in verse 6 ask this question. Are the hands of Zeba and Zalmanah now in your hand? That we should give bread to your army? Well, that's a reference to the two Midianite kings Gideon is pursuing. So these fellow Jews refused provisions to Gideon for fear of reprisal from the Midianites if they do so. Bad news, guys. When Gideon returns after taking care of that army, you'll meet those two kings in the hands of Gideon. 
you're in for a very unpleasant surprise. Gideon threatens the leadership of both cities with a very unpleasant means of capital punishment when he says in verse 7, I will tear your flesh with the thorns of the wilderness and with briars. He also adds this guarantee to Penuel in verse 9, saying, When I come back in peace, I will tear down this tower. Despite the threats, neither city is moved to cooperate with Gideon by these threats. So, then we see in chapter 8, beginning with verse 10, what an awesome army of 300 Gideon leads, verse 10. Now Zeba and Zalmana were at Karkor, and their armies with them, about 15,000, all who were left of all the army of the people of the east, for 120,000 men who drew the sword had fallen. Then Gideon went up by the road of those who dwell in tents on the east of Nobah and Jogbaha, and he attacked the army while the camp felt secure. When Zeba and Zalmanah fled, he pursued them, and he took the two kings of Midian, Zeba and Zalmanah, and routed the whole army. Then Gideon, the son of Joash, returned from battle from the ascent of Herez. And he called a young man of the men of Succoth and interrogated him, and he wrote down for him the leaders of Succoth and its elders, seventy-seven men. Then he came to the men of Succoth and said, Here are Zeba and Zalmanah, about whom you ridiculed me, saying, Are the hands of Zeba and Zalmanah now in your hand, that we should give bread to your weary men? And he took the elders of the city, and thorns of the wilderness and briars, and with them he taught the men of Succoth. Then he tore down the tower of Penuel, and killed the men of the city. And he said to Zeba and Zalmanah, What kind of men were they whom you killed at Tabor? So they answered, As you are, so were they. Each one resembled the son of a king. Then he said, They were my brothers, the sons of my mother. As the Lord lives, if you had let them live, I would not kill you. And he said to Jether, his firstborn, Rise, kill them. But the youth would not draw his sword, for he was afraid, because he was still a youth. So Zeba and Zalmanah said, Rise yourself and kill us, for as a man is, so is his strength. So Gideon arose and killed Zeba and Zalmanah, and took the crescent ornaments that were on their camels' necks. Well, first, after having defeated 120,000 with his band of 300 in Judges chapter 7, he goes after the remaining 15,000 that had fled and captures their two kings. Now it's back to his fellow Jewish brethren in Succoth and Penuel, with the two enemy kings, Zeba and Zalmanah, in tow. Hey, Succoth and Penuel, are these the two kings you thought we couldn't defeat? Those folks had bet on the wrong horse, so to speak. Gideon collects from these cowards in blood. Gideon's actions may seem a little excessive here, but God had appointed Gideon to be the battle commander, and the men of these two cities aided the enemies of not only Gideon, but God himself. Traitors don't usually get favorable treatment in anybody's army. Oh, and the two captured kings, they admit to having killed Gideon's brothers. If there was any thought of letting these guys live, this submission pretty much negates that idea. Gideon's son, Jether, he's not fond of the notion of avenging his uncles, so Gideon himself does the honors. We continue reading now with chapter 8, verse 22. Then the men of Israel said to Gideon, Rule over us, both you and your son, and your grandson also, for you have delivered us from the hand of Midian. But Gideon said to them, I will not rule over you, nor shall my son rule over you. The Lord shall rule over you. Then Gideon said to them, I would like to make a request of you, 
that each of you would give me the earrings from his plunder, for they had golden earrings because they were Ishmaelites. So they answered, We will gladly give them. And they spread out a garment, and each man threw into it the earrings from his plunder. Now the weight of the gold earrings that he requested was 1,700 shekels of gold, besides the crescent ornaments, pendants, and purple robes which were on the kings of Midian, and besides the chains that were around their camels' necks. Then Gideon made it into an ephod and set it up in his city, Ophrah, and all Israel played the harlot with it there. It became a snare to Gideon and to his house. Thus Midian was subdued before the children of Israel, so that they lifted their heads no more, and the country was quiet for forty years in the days of Gideon. Well, Israel's pretty tickled that Gideon has delivered them from the Midianites. They roll out the red carpet, metaphorically speaking. They offer him what sounds like a kingship to me, but he refuses. Instead, he asks for the earrings from the captured booty. He then makes a replica of the high priest apron, the ephod, and puts it on display in his hometown of Ophrah. Why did he do that? Was he trying to compete with Shiloh? That's where the Ark of the Covenant was located as an alternative place of worship? Well, who knows? But it did become problematic, we see in verse 27. It seems that those Hebrews were willing to worship just about anything. However, Gideon's brave leadership had brought Israel 40 years of peace. In verses 29 to 35, we see that Gideon dies, and it's back to the idols. Verse 29. Then Jerubel, the son of Joash, went and dwelt in his own house. Gideon had seventy sons who were his own offspring, for he had many wives. And his concubine, who was in Shechem, also bore him a son, whose name he called Abimelech. Now Gideon, the son of Joash, died at a good old age, and was buried in the tomb of Joash's father in Ophrah of the Abbey Ezrites. So it was, as soon as Gideon was dead, that the children of Israel again played the harlot with the Baals, and made Baal Bareth their God. Thus the children of Israel did not remember the Lord their God, who had delivered them from the hands of all their enemies on every side, nor did they show kindness to the house of Jerubal, Gideon, in accordance with the good that he had done for Israel. So those Hebrews, they love nicknames. You know how the bald guy always gets called curly, and the big guy gets called tiny? Well, Gideon's nickname was Jerubal, Aren't nicknames supposed to be shorter? Well, Jerubel means let Baal fight for himself. He got that nickname back in Judges chapter 6, verse 32. That's when he tore down the altar to Baal back then. So what happens when Gideon finally dies? Well, it's back to Baal. Back to Baal worship for the people. And they show no respect whatsoever to Gideon's memory. One more key point about Gideon is found in verse 30. It says, Gideon had 70 sons who were his own offspring, for he had many wives. Now, that's not counting daughters. An additional son is seen in verse 31. Abimelech was born to a concubine of Gideon who lived in Shechem. That's about six miles from Gideon's hometown of Ophrah. We're not told that any of the other brothers and sisters actually lived in Shechem, just Abimelech. He goes for a power grab over in chapter 9. So we continue reading with chapter 9, verse 1. Then Abimelech, the son of Jerubel, went to Shechem, to his mother's brothers, and spoke with them and with all the family of the house of his mother's father, saying, Please speak in the hearing of all the men of Shechem, which is better for you, that all seventy of the sons of Jerubel reign over you, or that one reign over you. Remember that I am your own flesh and bone. 
And his mother's brothers spoke all these words concerning him in the hearing of all the men of Shechem, and their heart was inclined to follow Abimelech, for they said, He is our brother. So they gave him seventy shekels of silver from the temple of Baal-Bareth, with which Abimelech hired worthless and reckless men, and they followed him. Then he went to his father's house at Ophrah and killed his brothers, the seventy sons of Jerubel, on one stone. But Jotham, the youngest son of Jerubel, was left, because he hid himself. And all the men of Shechem gathered together, all of Beth Milo, and they went and made Abimelech king beside the terebinth tree at the pillar that was in Shechem. Now when they told Jotham, he went and stood on top of Mount Gerizim and lifted his voice and cried out and said to them, Listen to me, you men of Shechem, that God may listen to you. The trees once went forth to anoint a king over them, and they said to the olive tree, Reign over us. But the olive tree said to them, Should I cease giving my oil, with which they honor God and men, and go to sway over trees? Then the trees said to the fig tree, You come and reign over us. But the fig tree said to them, Should I cease my sweetness and my good fruit, and go to sway over trees? Then the tree said to the vine, You come and reign over us. But the vine said to them, Should I cease my new wine, which cheers both God and men, and go to sway over trees? Then all the trees said to the bramble, You come and reign over us. And the bramble said to the trees, If in truth you anoint me as king over you, then come and take shelter in my shade. But if not, let fire come out of the bramble and devour the cedars of Lebanon. Now therefore, if you have acted in truth and sincerity in making Abimelech king, and if you have dealt well with Jeroboam and his house, and have done to him as he deserves, for my father fought for you, risked his life, and delivered you out of the hand of Midian, but you have risen up against my father's house this day, and killed his seventy sons on one stone, and made Abimelech, the son of his female servant, king over the men of Shechem, because he is your brother." If then you have acted in truth and sincerity with Jeroboam and with his house this day, then rejoice in Abimelech, and let him also rejoice in you. But if not, let fire come from Abimelech and devour the men of Shechem and Beth Milo. And let fire come from the men of Shechem and from Beth Milo and devour Abimelech. And Jotham ran away and fled, and he went to Beer and dwelt there for fear of Abimelech his brother." Well, that's some brother, huh? Gideon's son of Abimelech. He goes for power grab, kills 69 of 70 of his brothers, and grabs the kingship of Shechem. That's his mom's hometown. That must have just been a starting place for Abimelech. He must have had his eyes on a bigger kingship, but you got to start somewhere. Gideon had a bunch of wives and concubines, and subsequently a bunch of sons. The sole surviving brother, Jotham, tells it like it is to the leaders of Shechem from the top of Mount Gerasim. If you recall, that was where the Blessings Mountain was in Joshua chapter 8. Shechem was in the valley at the foot of the mountain. Jotham hollers out the whole ruthless truth about his power-hungry brother Abimelech. One could stand on the top of that mountain and broadcast clearly and loudly into Shechem beneath, and that's what he did. He then hightails it for his life after speaking his peace. Jotham speaks to the men of Shechem by giving them a parable in verses 7 through 15. His olive tree, fig tree parable didn't flow that well, kind of hard to follow. It's a good thing he gives the interpretation of his parable in verses 16 through 20. It's important to notice the curse that Jotham pronounces on Abimelech and the men of Shechem in verse 20. It took three years, but this curse finally is fulfilled and noted so in verse 57.
As we read verses 22 to 57 of chapter 9, we see that Abimelech finally meets his end at the hand of a woman. Verse 22. After Abimelech had reigned over Israel three years, God sent a spirit of ill will between Abimelech and the men of Shechem, and the men of Shechem dealt treacherously with Abimelech, that the crime done to the seventy sons of Jeroboam might be settled, and their blood be laid on Abimelech their brother, who killed them, and on the men of Shechem who aided him in the killing of his brothers. And the men of Shechem set men in ambush against him on the tops of the mountains, and they robbed all who passed by them along that way, and it was told Abimelech. Now Gaul, the son of Ebed, came with his brothers and went over to Shechem, and the men of Shechem put their confidence in him. So they went out into the fields and gathered grapes from their vineyards and trod them and made merry. And they went into the house of their god and ate and drank and cursed Abimelech. Then Gaul, the son of Ebed, said, Who is Abimelech and who is Shechem that we should serve him? Is he not the son of Jerubel and is not Zebel his officer? Serve the men of Hamer, the father of Shechem, but why should we serve him? If only this people were under my authority, then I would remove Abimelech. So he said to Abimelech, Increase your army and come out. When Zebel, the ruler of the city, heard the words of Gaul, the son of Ebed, his anger was aroused, and he sent messengers to Abimelech secretly, saying, Take note, Gaul, the son of Ebed, and his brothers have come to Shechem, and here they are, fortifying the city against you. Now, therefore, get up by night, you and the people who are with you, and lie in wait in the field. And it shall be, as soon as the sun is up in the morning, that you shall rise early and rush upon the city. And when he and the people who are with him come out against you, you may then do to them as you find opportunity. So Abimelech and all the people who were with him rose by night and lay in wait against Shechem in four companies. When Gaul, the son of Ebed, went out and stood in the entrance to the city gate, Abimelech and the people who were with him rose from lying in wait. And when Gaul saw the people, he said to Zebel, Look, people are coming down from the tops of the mountains. But Zebel said to him, You see the shadows of the mountains as if they were men. So Gaul spoke again and said, See, people are coming down from the center of the land, and another company is coming from the diviners, Terebinth tree. Then Zebel said to him, Where indeed is your mouth now? With which you said, Who is Abimelech, that we should serve him? Are not these the people whom you despised? Go out, if you will, and fight with them now. So Gaul went out, leading the men of Shechem, and fought with Abimelech. And Abimelech chased him, and he fled from him, and many fell wounded to the very entrance of the gate. Then Abimelech dwelt at Aramam, and Zebul drove out Gaul and his brothers, so that they would not dwell in Shechem. And it came about on the next day that the people went out into the field, and they told Abimelech. So he took his people, divided them into three companies, and lay in wait in the field. And he looked, and there were the people coming out of the city, and he arose against them and attacked them. Then Abimelech and the company that was with him rushed forward and stood at the entrance of the gate of the city. And the two other companies rushed upon all who were in the fields and killed them. So Abimelech fought against the city all that day. He took the city and killed the people who were in it, and he demolished the city and sowed it with salt. Now when all the men of the tower of Shechem had heard that, they entered the stronghold of the temple of the god Berif. And it was told Abimelech that all the men of the tower of Shechem were gathered together. Then Abimelech went up to Mount Zalman, he and all the people who were with him. And Abimelech took an axe in his hand and cut down a bow from the trees and took it and laid it on his shoulder. 
Then he said to the people who were with him, What you have seen me do, make haste and do as I have done. So each of the people likewise cut down his own bow and followed Abimelech, put them against the stronghold and set the stronghold on fire above them, so that all the people of the tower of Shechem died, about a thousand men and women. Then Abimelech went to Thebes, and he encamped against Thebes and took it. But there was a strong tower in the city, and all the men and women, all the people of the city, fled there and shut themselves in. Then they went up to the top of the tower. So Abimelech came as far as the tower and fought against it. And he drew near the door of the tower to burn it with fire. But a certain woman dropped an upper millstone on Abimelech's head and crushed his skull. Then he called quickly to the young man, his armor-bearer, and said to him, Draw your sword and kill me, lest men say of me, A woman killed him. So his young man thrust him through, and he died. And when the men of Israel saw that Abimelech was dead, they departed every man to his place. Thus God repaid the wickedness of Abimelech, which he had done to his father by killing his seventy brothers. And all the evil of the men of Shechem God turned on their own heads, and on them came the curse of Jotham, the son of Jerubel. Well, it's difficult to say with certainty, but it seems that maybe the whole of Israel had acknowledged Abimelech's kingship in verse 22, or perhaps just the half-tribe of Manasseh and Ephraim. We actually don't see his influence in Israel beyond that localized region of Israel. He didn't reign very long, though, before the challenge in Shechem by a guy named Gaul, which is sometimes pronounced Gaal. And then the whole town of Shechem fell in right behind Gaul. Abimelech feels he can't let that challenge stand, so he organizes all-out warfare against this town. When the people of the city gather in their pagan temple, the house of Merith, verse 46, that was a secure building in the city, Abimelech and his army burn it down with the people inside, killing about a thousand people. While he's on a row, Abimelech heads north about 12 miles to a neighboring city of conspirators called Thebes. As the people there gather in their tower, Abimelech prepares to burn it down with the people inside. He encounters a little glitch in his battle plan, though. A woman drops a kitchen utensil, a millstone, on his head. As he lay there dying, his departing thoughts are, Oh, no, don't let me die at the hand of a woman. With that plea, one of his loyal men runs him through with a sword to put him out of his misery. Good riddance, King Abimelech. Oh, and by the way, King Abimelech, we all know it was a woman who really killed you. We see in verse 57 that Abimelech died according to the curse of Jotham in verse 20. His own townspeople did turn against him. After Abimelech's death, the army that supported him scattered, thereby ending the first attempt to establish a king over Israel. This concludes our podcast for today. I'm Wayne Turner, and if you'd like to read along with our commentary online, go to www.bibletrack.org. Thank you for listening in today. The background music for these podcasts is an original composition written by the music director of Faith Bible Church, Paul Walton.